Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Amidst all of the bad news of the day, there is the supremely good news. And in the midst of this Holy Week on this Maundy Thursday, really the last full day that Jesus spent as a man upon the earth, fully God and fully human, today is today's the last full day. And so I would encourage you to spend time today with Christ, walking with him where he walked, reading the things that he said to those with whom he spent time today, those he loved best in the world, the time he spent with the disciples today, um, and those and the time that he spent with those who hated him most in the world. So we see Jesus today at Passover experiencing um, what has long been the Passover meal. And as a a Jewish man living in Jewish community with others there in Israel, Jerusalem um, is where he spent this last day. He celebrated what we now know as the Last Supper. That's really um, a traditional Seder meal repurposed for Christ and by Christ to become for his people a different kind of celebration of the Lamb. So this is the day upon which we acknowledge that John was right. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, The foot washing is a part of this day. The walk through the vineyard, so the teaching about the vine and the branches. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 is a part of this day. The prayers prayed at Gethsemane, the betrayal of Judas, Jesus' arrest, the mockery by the guards. The trials begin on this night. Peter's denials are this night before the cock crows in the morning. So tomorrow is the cross, but today, today is Maundy Thursday. And so spend some time today with the Lord in those texts of Scripture. They're not hard to find, obviously, in John's Gospel, where we have all been together during this uh, lead up to Easter. We would be looking at John chapters 13 through 17, arriving in chapter 18 um, of the events of Good Friday. So just encourage you to take some time today and read those chapters of Scripture. Um, Consider who Christ is and what he is doing, what he has done, what he has accomplished, what is available to you through him. So this is Bondi Thursday. This evening at 7 p.m. Central, my colleague Susie Larson and I will be having these Precise conversations. We're going to be talking about Maundy Thursday, the events of Maundy Thursday, the very presence of the mind of Christ as the one who became incarnate on our behalf in order that he might die, that we might live. That conversation is happening tonight live. You go to MyFaithRadio.com just before 7 p.m. Central. You log on to the live event. Susie Larson and I are going to be taking your prayer requests um, as well as walking through John 13 to 17 and 18. All right, so that's this evening. Mark your 
I don't know, mark your calendar, put it, put an alert in your phone. Uh, join us a little bit before 7 p.m. tonight at MyFaithRadio.com. That's uh, Central Time. All right, next up, I got Ben Johnson. He and I are going to talk about Bernie Sanders' suspension of his campaign, uh, as well as um, just, you know, what's going on in the world, in, well, here in this country in particular, at the intersection of the coronavirus, politics, the economy, Passover, all of it. What's up next here on Mornings with Carmen? Savor the sight, the wine and the bread that was broken, and all have been welcomed to come if they might accept as their own these two and This is my right, a right given by God to live a Joining me now, Ben Johnson. He blogs at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Um, he is also available to you on Twitter at The Rights Writer. Ben, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Let's um, let's start with, I mean, I would say let's start with the political news, which would mean we could talk about Jesus. But let's start with the political news um, about Bernie Sanders suspending his campaign. Yeah, uh, Bernie Sanders yesterday said that he is not going to continue to uh, try to capture the presidential nomination of the Democratic Party. He realizes that the odds are insurmountable of him actually being the presidential nominee when the party finally gathers uh, to to cast all of its ballots. However, he is he says he's going to continue to try and amass delegates between now and then, and he's not releasing his delegates. Uh, and he did not pointedly pointedly did not endorse Joe Biden in that announcement yesterday. So it's it's a little bit curious uh, as to exactly what uh, the full game is. It's not that unusual when you think of a, a campaign that's so based uh, in ideology that it's trying to transform a party from within. You know, the Democratic Party is the more liberal, obviously, of the two parties, uh, very much so uh, when it comes to uh, uh, the economy. For example, the Cato Institute found that uh, most uh, Democrats have a, a more favorable uh, view of socialism than uh, certainly than Republicans do. But when it when it comes to the nitty gritty of it, they're not full blown socialists. There's there's no question about that. And Sanders described himself as a democratic socialist. So he wants to transform the party and he sees amassing enough delegates and shaping the overall platform of the Democratic Party as the first step in, in a, a long, probably a decades long transformation of the party in uh, into his own image. And I think that there's this other sort of unknown, which is what if Biden genuinely stumbles? Uh, some of his performances have obviously been underwhelming. And I think that he believes if he has the second number of delegates going into that room, uh, if he's not going to be the nominee himself, uh, and, and there's still an outside chance that maybe he could he could amass enough delegates if, if he were to peel off enough supporters from other people. But if he doesn't, then he could be a kingmaker and decide who the next person is. So are these conventions going to happen? Maybe it's going to be one question. Um, and at this point, you know, does it matter? Isn't it isn't it going to be Biden v. Trump? Um, I mean, is there any scenario I mean, short of COVID-19 um, taking a toll on either one of these gentlemen, Joe Joe Biden or or Donald Trump. Um, is there any scenario in which you see uh, an election between anybody other than Joe Biden and Donald Trump in the fall? 
Uh, the odds are definitely against that. Let's say it that way. We would have to be something genuinely extraordinary. Uh, however, the idea that uh, Biden might not uh, fill out his full term if he is elected, that's that's a very genuine possibility. So I think that uh, I think the idea for Biden and for the Democratic uh, establishment in general, which is coalesced around him in order to stop Bernie, is that they want a dynamic, uh, uh, someone who will really light the party on fire as the vice president. Uh, and they're they're casting about for who that might be. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of speculation about uh, Stacey Abrams. If Michelle Obama would take it, that would be someone who would be pivotal. But I don't think the Obamas want to be on that ticket uh, for a lot of reasons. Michelle Obama said repeatedly she doesn't want to be a president. And on top of that, the Obamas definitely don't want to be associated with uh, the possibility of losing outright. Right now, mm-hmm. uh, Obama has the uh, you know the strongest political profile, obviously, in the entire party because he's the most recent person who's won two presidential elections in a row by pretty wide margins. And I don't think that the family wants to put that into question uh, for something that's not a sure thing. Okay, you and I were going to talk about Boris Johnson, if there was any new news. The new news is he's sitting up and improving. So we're just going to celebrate that and move on to other items. Last week, um, I was aware of an emerging story um, related to education. You have since blogged about that at Acton.org. Tell us about the kids who are being denied an education over a funding fight. 13,000 of them in Oregon because uh, the state of Oregon shut down schools like so many places across the country have because of the coronavirus outbreak. When you have a lot of people in a confined area, obviously that's the, the perfect Petri dish for the spread of COVID-19. Well, they decided the public schools had to transform themselves to online schools. Uh, and uh, initially, the uh, the order was, was the end of March, and then it was April. And uh, eventually, uh, Governor Kane Brown decided that the public schools would have to have something worth offering by the 13th, so going on next week. However, she also shut down the online public schools, the online public charter Does schools. Does it make any sense? No, they're already socially isolated, right? They they are they exist purely in a virtual environment, so there's no chance of spreading COVID nineteen whatsoever. But she shut them down, uh, and uh, then the the uh, and, and by the way, I've gotten notes from various schools. Schools either are totally shut down, or I got a, a nice letter from a lady who's uh, who uh, went through an incredible struggle with her own children in the public schools because they're deaf. They finally found an outlet because you know, this is a perfect environment. It's already set up for people in a virtual environment, and it, it caters to specific individual needs like the, like uh, those with special needs and those who might not be able uh, to uh, to uh, uh, have a, a specific IEP for someone who has a disability like hearing loss. She said that she fought for years to get her children into an online school and uh, now they, they, they are allowed to offer supplemental education, but they're not allowed to offer full-blown coursework that's going to be graded because the public schools aren't geared for that. So until the public schools are up to date, the online public schools are idle because, and they are explicit about this, the State Department of Education in Oregon is explicit that they're doing this because they're worried parents are going to find out they have this other option available to them. They'll change the enrollment and go online. And then the local public school, which is dominated by teachers unions, will lose out all the funding because the funding follows the student. So rather than have public traditional community public schools, brick and mortar public schools lose out because they can't provide the educational needs, 
13,000 students are sitting idle right now, not having coursework or not having coursework that's graded, just like uh, all of the other students, half a million students in Oregon, because they want to preserve the funding for teacher-dominated traditional public schools. It's an outrage, and I'm, I'm incredibly thankful I, to you for pointing it out. I am, I am the pointer out of things that people should be outraged about, but thank you for doing the research and, uh, and posting the story. Again, you guys are going to want to read this. Uh, it's posted at actonacton.org. 13,000 children are being denied an education over a funding fight. This is going on in Oregon, but it may be coming um, closer to home no matter where you live. All right, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We are going to talk about, um, you know, we have to start thinking about reopening the economy at some point. So we're going to um, begin to till that soil. And then we're also going to talk about Passover. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson, my brother in Christ, my colleague in ministry. He serves with the Acton Institute. You can find what he's writing at actonacton.org. Um, ben, let's talk about, um, you know, we have to start thinking about, we have to start thinking about, even though I realize it's probably still pretty far down the road. People listening in Minnesota today are thinking, huh, my stay-at-home order just got extended into May. Um, but people need to start thinking about and planning for reopening um, the American economy. Let's talk about that. Well, no doubt about it that this is something that's weighing heavily on the minds of uh, our national leaders and even more so for uh, the people that you're mentioning, people who are in the gig economy, people who are working part time, who who work at uh, – uh, at uh, restaurants. And the people you really got to think about are people who gave up steady jobs, entrepreneurs who who had a guarantee and yet gave up because three or four months ago, it looked like we had the hottest economy in our entire lifetime and decided to go out and start something new. And now through no fault of their own, their government ha has told them they have to stay idle and they cannot go out to work no matter what. So they have to stay at home and or their customers have to stay at home. Now, all because of government orders, 26% of the U.S. economy has been shut down, according to an analysis from the Wall Street Journal. So that's how big a bite we're talking about out of the U.S. economy right now, completely stopped. And there's no question, when you shut down something like this, uh, as so many people have said, it's not like a turnkey operation, uh, particularly the longer it goes. A lot of these, you know, 70% of all business, all 70% of all jobs are in small and medium-sized businesses. Small businesses don't necessarily have months upon months of capital just lying around waiting for an emergency like this, which means when these jobs, uh, when the uh, orders are lifted, the jobs may not be there because the businesses won't exist. And that's a great danger. So uh, the question is, how long is this going to go and how permanent is the underlying uh, economic damage going to be. We'll have an unemployment's claim number today. Uh, people are forecasting that it, at a minimum, it could be the equal of the 6.6 .6 million that we saw last week. So uh, we, we could have an equal number of cases. We could have more or, or in that ballpark. But when it comes to it, it, it of course, the, uh, the federal government has done what it always does uh, in a case like this, which is is to react. But uh, some of the reaction has been wasteful, like the money that's gone to the Kennedy Center and National Public Radio that has nothing to do with stimulating the economy. But uh, there's also an extra $600 for unemployment. So on the other hand, 
uh, if if you can show that your job was a loss due to COVID-19, you get an additional amount of money, which pays almost twice as much as a minimum wage job. So you have a disincentive to go back. Obviously, the government has to uh, to turn this around as quickly as humanly possible. And uh, when you look at the number, obviously, no one can fault the government for shutting things down because there was such a great unknown. There have been a massive number of deaths. We still don't know how many in Wuhan, although the, the media have parroted numbers that are obviously fictitious uh, throughout throughout this from the Chinese government. But uh, there's been a massive uh, campaign here in, in order to minimize those deaths. So it's understandable we had to react in a, in a way that was thorough. However, as things go on, now we continue to learn things. And uh, obviously, the percentage of, of people who are dying is 2 to 4%. And of those who are dying, uh, the government statistics count anyone who dies with COVID-19 as though they die from COVID-19, when in fact, the vast majority have comorbidities, uh, issues like uh, like uh, maybe many of many of us have, uh, possibly overweight, uh, hypertension, diabetes, heart heart disease, lung disease. Those are underlying factors which were exacerbated by this, but uh, that uh, may not be may not prove that COVID nineteen itself was the uh, the primary or only reason for this death. So the question is: Is it possible uh, that we could have isolated those people who were high risk? Uh, and allow others to go forward uh, in public with the understanding that they need to keep distance from other people who have this. Uh, that's a question that the experts need to look into, but because of the economic damage, they need to make that assessment right now. The longer that uh, this goes on, we're looking at permanent economic damage, which has an impact on our life as a whole. Obviously, if we don't have money to fund Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and other public health issues, uh, as as uh, an overall uh, economy, that's an issue. And individuals are simply seeing their, their lives wither away because of the lack of economic opportunity. You're, you're seeing that people who are out of, uh, out of uh, employment have a higher risk for uh, various other uh, morbidities, for example, drug mm -hmm. abuse, alcohol abuse, and domestic violence. Um, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about today, um, Christians celebrate today, celebrate, honor, acknowledge, recognize, observe. Observe is the word I'm looking for. Christians observe today as Maundy Thursday, the last full day that Jesus uh, walked upon the earth in human flesh dwelling among us. Um, tomorrow we will observe Good Friday. This is the this is the taking of uh, the Jewish Passover um, and in the person of Christ, it becoming something very different, uh, as he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You have an FAQ posted at Acton, um, what is the Jewish holiday of Passover? Why don't you just brief us in on that, and we'll send people to read it in full. Yeah, from a purely Jewish perspective, obviously, this goes back to the book of Exodus and the ten plagues that were unleashed on Egypt. The last one is the killing of the firstborn. However, the, is the Israelites who were in the land of Goshen were told, slaughter a lamb, a newborn lamb, put that uh, perfect unblemished lamb's blood on your doorpost, and when the, the angel of death comes, he will pass over your home. And so as the Egyptians see their families decimated, the firstborns all dying out, the Israelites who prepared had the angel of death pass over. Uh, there's a beautiful song that uh, several years ago came out about a firstborn Hebrew 
who uh, continually reminds his father to check and see if the blood is there. And the blood is there. The blood that has been shed uh, for us as Christians proves that uh, Jesus Christ has given his life for us. And so that, uh, for those of us who are Christians, see this as the perfect typological fulfillment of what took place in the Passover, that Christ's blood has been shed once and for all, one time on Mount Calvary, and it protects all of those who are believers in him. Anyone who will can claim that blood as their own, and when the angel of permanent death comes, we will be born into everlasting life in uh, light with Christ and with all of his angels in eternity. Now, the Jewish version, of course, has a long history of gathering together. Many, many people are familiar with it because of the biblical tale, but there's a lot more to it. Uh, families gathering together, there are meals, which they may be familiar with, but the meals have, uh, many Christians will see a typological symbolism in them, and there are beautiful prayers, one of which uh, I mention in the FAQ, uh, in the FAQ, which uh, I'll just uh, say very, very briefly, is so beautiful. It says, he is pure, he is unique, he is powerful, he is wise, he is king, he is awesome, he's sublime, he's all-powerful, He's the Redeemer. He is all righteous. He is mighty. He is mighty. So that beautiful prayer, uh, if if it wouldn't be considered uh, what they call in this world the uh, sin of cultural appropriation, I think that those are words that every believer could endorse and believe in. Absolutely. Um, ben, thank you so much. Um, so much good stuff posted. Go to Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Find what Ben Johnson has been writing, um, in particular on this day. Read this FOQ, FAQ. What is the Jewish holiday of Passover? Thank you, my brother. Thank you, and God bless. God bless. We'll be right back. All right, what is uh, the Christian faith? What does that even mean in the context of today's con- conversations? Is Christianity good? Is Christianity rational? Is it true? And the Weekend Worldview Reader. All that up next with Dan DeWitt. Right here on Mornings with Carmen. So this is Maundy Thursday. Um, This is the day upon which we walk with Jesus in humility and in humiliation. We walk with him through the events of the Last Supper, and we walk with him across the valley to the city where he will um, be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will be stripped in so many ways of, um, well, they try to strip him of his dignity. You know, Jesus is who he is, so his dignity is never lost, but the shame he bears on our behalf on this night and into tomorrow and to the cross is really almost beyond our ability to express. But we must tend to it. We must observe it. And so my colleague Susie Larson and I are going to make ourselves available tonight at 7 p.m. Central live for a live event. Um, all you have to do to join is a couple of minutes prior to 7. Uh, just log on to MyFaithRadio.com, click on the live event link, And um, Susie and I are going to walk through John 13 to 18 together with you. And we're going to prayerfully observe uh, the events of this night. So join us. We encourage you. uh, We encourage you to do that. Next up, Dan DeWitt. He and I are going to talk about whether or not Christianity is good, rational, and true. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Deep down, most moms and dads want just two things, perfect kids and peace in the home. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm guessing those are on your list too. But anyone who has teens knows the fallacy behind those goals. And when chaos reigns in the home and our kids keep making goofy mistakes, what are we supposed to do? Well, my suggestion is this. Change your perspective. Instead of aiming for perfection and peace, simply look for signs of progress. Have you strengthened your relationships since this time last year? Are you personally growing as a parent? God doesn't demand perfection, but He does call us to grow. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now is Dan DeWitt. He serves at Cedarville University. Um, he also blogs and writes and now talks to us at theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Good to be with you. It's great to be with you. So you have um, you have really done a great job sort of taking it online. Let's just start with some of the ways that folks can, you know, engage like face-to-face with you via some of the cool things that you're doing online right now. Well, I decided to take, you know, as like every university, we're hustling to get all of our education online for our students. And a lot of the different avenues are just to record video in some way and make it accessible to students. There's a lot of different ways to do that. But I thought, you know, if I did it on Facebook Live, that would not only give my students an opportunity in real time to interact, but also other people. And so I've invited people to join my lectures And so I'm going to be giving a lecture um, here in a little bit on my book, Life in the Wild. And we're going to walk through Genesis 3 and look at the effects of the curse. So anybody who wants to join into that or see some of the previous lectures can just go to Facebook.com slash Dan DeWitt. Facebook.com slash Dan DeWitt. You can also just Google him and look for the first Facebook link that comes up. That, That works as well. Um, so Dan, you've got, uh, you have this series of pieces posted about whether or not Christianity is good, rational, and true. Which one do you want to unpack? Because we probably don't have time to do all three. We're going to send people to theolatte.com or to the Weekend Worldview Reader where they're listed. Um, probably my favorite one is the very first one I give, which is, is Christianity good? All right, let's go. Is Christianity good, Dan DeWitt? Well, um, I'm glad you asked, Carmen. Thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, Pascal, who's one of my favorite philosophers, said that the Christians should seek to show that the gospel um, is desirable, then to show that it's plausible, and only then to seek to press upon their hearer that it's true. And the talk, Is Christianity Good?, is really aiming at what Pascal said, to seek to show that Christianity is is desirable. And so one of the often repeated um, allegations against Christian faith is that it's harmful for society. And so in this talk, um, I answer the question, is Christianity good? In the affirmative, as you would imagine, and um, in three ways, and I'll just give you the three different um, ways without unpacking them. But they all start with A, The first is that it's good in an absolute sense. 
The second is that it's good in an approximate sense. And then finally, I, I argue that Christianity is good in an artistic sense. Christianity is good in an artistic sense. Let's just unpack that a little bit. Like, what does that mean? That's probably not even something anybody has ever even thought about. Well, you know, I think that without arguing that, and again, I'm kind of following Pascal's um, encouragement, you know, don't lead with the insistence that Christianity is true, but seek to show that it's desirable. I think Tim Keller once said something to the effect of that Christians should talk about the gospel in such a way that our friends who are far from God would overhear that and think, I wish that were true, <laughs> that it's so beautiful and it's so powerful and it's so appealing that we actually wish it were true. Now, this is one of the things that if someone's not a follower of Jesus, they might hear and, and think that this sounds like, um, you know, used car sales techniques. But for anybody who knows the Christian faith, we know that it actually is an amazing story. And so it's not that we're having to add something to Christianity to try and make it um, appealing, but rather that Christianity is a beautiful story, and it actually is the kind of story that shows up in the very best of our stories. So the best works of literature, our favorite movies, if you really pick them apart, they often follow this basic pattern of fall and redemption and optimism and heroism and sacrifice— and what I'm arguing is that Christianity really contains that story in the most powerful way, and that all these other stories we appreciate are really borrowing from that Christian plot, that it's, it's good in an artistic sense. Lots of us have been um, maybe watching more uh, shows or movies together with our kids and teenagers during this time than we ordinarily would. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that um, just sitting together— and commenting during a program when something catches your attention, like, wow, that that totally looks like a scene right out of the Ten Commandments. Doesn't that look like Moses and the parting of the of the of the Red Sea? I heard myself say that the other night um, wow. while watching like a a I don't know if it's like the sixth movie in the Harry Potter series, which is a very dark film. But there's this scene where you know the waters were literally parted, and I'm like. You know, and there's and and there's you know he's kind of a Moses-like figure at that point. It's just an interesting. There are these points where you're just like, if you say it out loud, you know, your kids' eyebrows will go up, and then later on you get to talk about what you meant when you said that. I don't interrupt the film like, pa- okay, let's everybody pause it, let's have a <laughs> Bible study because nobody likes that. But no. um, later on, it does give you the opportunity to say, hey, did you notice what I noticed? What did you see? Um, you know, what are the kinds of connections that we can make? What are the themes going on in this in this story and these characters? The good and evil theme is out there a lot. Absolutely. And and this stubborn human optimism, um, where does that come from? It certainly doesn't come from a Darwinian, you know, narrative, this idea that it's just survival of the fittest. Um, even understanding, you know, what's going on in the culture with the coronavirus, the human impulse um, towards wanting to protect um, those who are vulnerable, those who are weaker— that doesn't fit in with a basic Darwinian understanding of the world. So where does it come from? And I think it comes from the fact that God has written, placed eternity, as Solomon says, in the hearts of men. What the Apostle Paul says, Romans 2, God's written his law on our hearts, and we're living in his moral universe. And our, our moral instincts, are, are we're flawed, but they're pointing us towards this truth that makes sense in the, in the Christian worldview. So um, a couple of the other ways I talk about it is, is that it's good in an approximate sense, that where Christianity goes, 
it leads to human flourishing. Christians are far from perfect, but often where Christians have been, um, you'll see that the end result is that it leads to orphan orphanages, hospitals, universities, um, charities, and all of that could be on display during this time with the pandemic as well. You see Christians rushing to serve and help. All right, we have to take a quick break, but I wanted to thank you for connecting me with um, your colleague, uh, Matthew Bennett. He and I have now recorded a conversation about his new book, The 40 Questions About Islam, um, is excellent. And wow, was he a yes. fun conversation partner. So thanks for that introduction. Um, let me warn you, let me warn you in advance. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about the book you wrote for um, for your daughter's birthday. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my body given for you. This is the cup that holds the blood of a new covenant. This All right, I'm talking with Dan DeWitt. We often talk about um, the Weekend Worldview Reader at this point, and we're going to get to that. But before we do, oh, sorry, banging my own microphone. Um, before we do, I I need to um, I need to address this uh, good good father issue with you. Okay, so um, we serve a good good father, but you are a good good father. You you oh. have written birthday books for your kids, and you posted this picture on Instagram, and I just simply cannot resist asking you about it. Um, an otter for my daughter. Uh, the night the wild things came out to play. The princess. The the four. Ogres, and the, yes. Oh, and, and the, the four, four yes. ogres, <laughs> and then um, holy moly, the roly poly, and Josiah. Yes, the gentle giant. Yeah. Are there others in this in this wonderful, delightful series? <laughs> and tell us more. Tell us more. Okay. Well, I I love writing little stories for my kids, like a lot of parents do, even if it's not something you like illustrate or publish. You come up with little stories, and so over the years. Um, I've tried to at different points. Obviously, we don't do this every year. I'd have a lot more books with two 13-year-olds. Um, but at certain points, I've tried to take those stories and just t spend the time to do the the design, the illustration. And I use a um, online printing company, Blurb.com, to print the books through and give it to them for their birthday. So I just made one for my um, daughter. This is the second one I made her. I made her one for her first birthday which she wasn't old enough to read, obviously. And that was the one, um, The Princess and the Four Ogres. And it's about how she lives in a house with four stinky guys. <laughs> and um, and then this one, my daughter loves otters. And so I wrote a story about trying to find an otter for my daughter. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, when we used to do, like, you, you had to pick you were going to be even or odd. I would always be even because I am even otter. <laughs> so you could write a story about even otter even otter i like yeah. that so or now it could be eve eve and otter even otter i don't know i'm just <laughs> brainstorming with you here on air about the next children's book in the series <laughs> well um you asked if there were more books and so i i started a tradition that ended sadly this year i may pick it up again at some point but i came up with a dragon story with my twins when they were little. And so I ended up writing a story about this dragon named James who lives in a, a drain at Southern Seminary and guards their doctrinal statement. 
which is called <laughs> the abstract of principles. And so every year I would write a new dragon story, and it always had to do with some historic statement of Christian orthodoxy. So, All right. So I think that should be like the intro, part of the intro reading for incoming students, because they should be introduced to James, the dragon in the drain, who's guarding the... That- doctrinal statement. I mean, I feel like that should be worked right into the Cedarville <laughs> yes. curriculum plan. I mean, no question. Yes. <laughs> okay, so tell us about this week's Weekend Worldview Reader, which we're going to find at theolatte.com. Well, what I'm going to try and do that I'll publish it tomorrow is not have anything referencing the pandemic. And so oh, it's not um, Friday, is it? <laughs> yeah. So it'll it'll be up tomorrow, but there is the Weekend Worldview Reader from last weekend that people can go to, and it has links to the talks is Christianity good, true, or rational? And so that might be a good place to start while you wait with anticipation um, for the for for it to publish tomorrow. Okay, well then I'm going to send you some ideas for tomorrow's list because there's that so much awesome. stuff out there that's not COVID nineteen related. Um, yeah. And the, there's a people starting today can take this virtual reality tour of the holy city of Jerusalem, and you don't have yeah. to have VR equipment to do it, and it's free starting today through. I don't know. It goes for a couple of weeks. And um, so I'm going to send you that link because I want people Please do. to yeah. I want people to go and see this. And I don't really have the reach that you do. So thank you so much, um, Dan, as always. What's um, what's one thing that will be in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader that we should um, look forward to? You should look forward to a video that I'll have that I think will just be a lot of fun and inspirational about the reality of the resurrection. Hmm. Do you have a favorite um, reality of the resurrection movie? Oh, man. Um, you know, I love the scene, even though it's, it's just a very glimpse in, with Mel Gibson's The Passion at the mm. very end where you see the foot of Jesus stomp on the head of the snake. I just love that. I love that, too. Um, I love we love as a family the movie Risen, where mm. they explore the question um, of, okay, the guard, you know, he's he's a Roman centurion. He actually witnesses the crucifixion. He sees this man, Jesus, die, sort of observes the reaction of the crowd um, and rides away on his big fancy horse because he's, he's a, you know, high up Roman centurion. And then he is the one charged with finding the body. Um, and so he, there's these interrogations of the guards who were at the tomb. He hears their fantastical, you know, story um, there's then the interrogation of disciples who he can track down and followers of Jesus. And then, you know, he can't find the body, obviously. He goes, he dig. I mean, it's, it's, there, there are scenes in it that you think to yourself, wow, they spent, uh, they, they really did try, right? They would have really tried mm. to find the body, and they can't. And then he sees Jesus. Wow. I mean, he sees the risen Christ. And there's this, you, you, you're with him in this moment of this this is runs contrary to everything that I thought I knew to be true about everything. How can this be? There's just this devastating how can this be moment. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and again, it's uh, it's holy imagination, right? We don't know what that looked like because we don't have that recorded in Scripture in terms of what the search for the body would have looked like or when people sort of came to the acknowledgement that, you know what, he really is alive. But a lot of people saw him in addition to just the disciples. And so Risen, uh, Risen deals with that reality. It's a really good movie. I, I will check that out. That sounds great. Yeah, you would love it. All right. Hey, Dan, thank you so much. Blessings on your uh, the end of this holy week. Uh, may your observance here of Good Friday be 
genuinely blessed um, even as you do it at home. Thank you for what you're doing online. Again, you guys should check out what Dan's doing on Facebook. You go to Facebook, you're looking for Dan DeWitt. You can also just find him online at theolatte.com. Thank you, my brother. Thanks, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. You know, um, sometimes you just got to visit with your with your pallies out there and you got to find out what's going on. What are they watching? What are they doing with their families? Um, be sure you're touching base in, in those ways. Make recommendations to one another. Get recommendations from others. Make this a time that's genuinely holy as set apart unto the Lord. One of the ways in which you could do that would be to join Susie Larson and me tonight, 7 p.m. Central Time. She and I are going to spend an hour walking through the events of this night in the life of Jesus. We're going to spend time in John chapter 13 to Oh, uh, well, we're going to certainly get through 17. We might get into 18, depending on how many prayer requests you offer us during that time as well. So you're going to join us at MyFaithRadio.com just before 7 p.m. Central. Uh, and you're going to click on the live link. You can go, you can go like check out the holding page now if you want to at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, put an alert on your phone to join us. You're going to be able to text in during the show, the same number you always use, 877-933-2484. And we'll be praying with you and for you on this um, Holy Thursday on this Maundy Thursday. Let me hear from you. You can reach out to me now on the text line, 877-933-2484. And let me encourage you later today to share this show with somebody else who who you think would be encouraged by it. You just go to MyFaithRadio.com. You grab the uh, podcast for today. You send it via text or email to somebody else. You become an ambassador of this program um, and a minister of the gospel in these days. We got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.